Welcome to Perfectville, your first place podcast of your third place Miami Dolphins. And turn off that theme music, Mr. DJ, because we are going back in time. The Dolphins threw on the throwback uniforms, Chris Cullen. And since they put on the throwback unis and beat the New England Patriots on Monday night, we are going back and we're putting the throwbacks on and we're doing last season's episode that's right we're bringing back all the old spots for this very special episode of perfectville you'll have our dallas thomas award winner you'll have the second on the afc east you'll even have yourself a ridiculous prediction at the end of this show it is the throwback edition of perfectville chris cullen how the hell are you I'm um, good, buddy, man. It's everything's going good in life right now, both personally and um, being a Dolphins fan. Man, what a what a last couple two weeks, and we finally got off the schneid on national TV. Yeah, I think we were one in ten or one in eleven over oh. the last few years on primetime games, and of course, uh, wouldn't you know it? The New England Patriots come into town with a chance to not only clinch the AFC East but uh, solidify themselves as the number one seed for the AFC. Uh, but just like in years past, uh, more often than not, Chris, when Tom Brady comes to South Beach, he gets his shit packed in, and then uh, after that, he loses to the Miami Dolphins, but um, bump. So uh, we we <laughs> we beat the New England Patriots in prime time, keep our slim playoff chances alive, um, and and not only did we beat them, Chris, we beat them up and down the field in all phases of the game. The final score is 27-20. The score was not as close as no. this game uh, was. I mean, this game was a, a blowout. It just didn't reflect it on the scoreboard. What do you think of this Dolphins team that can't beat, you know, they can't beat a New England, or I'm sorry, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, but they can skull fuck Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots on primetime television? That is the M.O. of the current day Miami Dolphins. We seem to play down and then play up to our opponent. Um, and it, that's what makes it so frustrating as a fan. And that's what made us so excited last year when it seemed like we finally turned that around, where we were beating inferior teams like the Rams, uh, albeit in last-second crazy fashion, we are still winning. Those games normally were losses uh, for the Dolphins within the years of 2000s. Uh, stretching from, you know, ever since Marino retired. It always seemed to happen. We lose the games we're supposed to win. We'd win games we had no business winning. Um, so we're just keeping par for the course. At this point, like you said, we lose to Ryan Fitzpatrick at home against the Tampa Bay Bucks, who are just having a horrible season. Horrible. Deshaun Jackson's not getting anything done. Mike Evans is having one, two catches a game. Um, Jameis Winston's having issues with his coach, and we lose to him. Of course we do. Uh, but we come in Monday, national TV. All anyone's talking about is, of course, the New England Patriots, only two losses on the season. They play Pittsburgh uh, the following week for the biggest game of the year for home field advantage possibly. And what do we do? We show up and just, like you said, all facets of the game. Xavier Howard keeping his hot streak going uh, with two amazing, amazing interceptions. First one, great undercut, great physicality, but not too much. Got his head around for the ball. And then that second one, that closing speed on on Brandon Cooks and and what a catch. And then to get up have the wherewithal to get up and run um what a game from him kenny on drake making us completely say a jay who yep. uh with the play he's been having jay cutler nearly perfect um just all around man uh, ridiculous and then jakeem grant gets his first nfl touchdown i mean you couldn't you couldn't write the script 
um, for how how we beat the New England Patriots. Not only did we, but how we did it was just uh, all around perfect. Uh, it was uh, it was a throwback in every phase of the game. I mean, Jay Cutler had 112 QB rating. When's the last <laughs> time Jay Cutler had a QB rating of 112? Uh, it definitely wasn't this year. It was a throwback performance for him. Three touchdowns. 25 of 38, 263 yards, zero interceptions. In fact, I don't think we had a turnover in the game at all on offense, uh, which, man, between that and the fact that we kept the New England Patriots to 0 for third down for the entire game, first time since 1991 that that has happened for the New England Patriots, where they went 0 for the game on third down conversions. It it was unbelievable. It absolutely was unbelievable. And you mentioned some of the players there. Xavier Howard, not only did he have the two interceptions that were just physical, uh, uh, you know, the physical capabilities. I mean, that's what that was. It wasn't like, yes, he read the quarterback. Yes, he played the, the, the role correctly. But those were physical interceptions. Those were he made sure he got into the right position. He muscled his way up there, and he took the ball away from the receivers. And like you said, got had the, enough awareness to get up and run the, the second one back for a number of yards. Um, he also had passes defensed. I mean, granted, the one they kept showing over and over again was clearly pass interference, but I don't care. They didn't call it, and uh, we're allowed to get away with some shit against the Patriots considering all the cheating they've done over the last two decades. Uh, so it was just a fun game to watch. It was one of those games where we started off with a field goal, and then we had another field goal, and you're like, okay, they're moving the ball, but they're not punching it in. And as the game kept going, you go, at some point, Tom Brady's going to turn this on. And then around the third right. quarter, Chris, it just it dawned on me, this is going to be that game where they can't turn it on. They can't turn the corner. The Patriots just weren't, for whatever reason, able to do what they normally do. And Miami Dolphins just steamrolled them. Like you said, Kenyon Drake, uh, over 100 yards, almost 200 yards all per, you know, from, from scrimmage. Uh, Jarvis Landry getting into the end zone a couple of times. Jakeem Grant. You know things are going well when Jakeem fucking Grant is catching <laughs> touchdown passes. I mean, the guy's not tall enough to ride any roller coaster, but he can jump over every single one. It's crazy to me how well they played. I mean, this was the Miami Dolphins' best uh, performance of the season in terms of offense, defense, and special teams, was it not? Oh, it was. It was just all around perfect. Um, I I tell my kids when I coach them, I said, if, if you're a backup and you get the opportunity to go in, whether it's uh, a guy needs uh, needs a blow, if if the kid's injured, the kid's out of town, and you get the opportunity to start, it's up to you to make me not take you off the field. I mean, you have that opportunity when you get between those white lines. And Jakeem Grant, that was the epitome of when he got a chance, he was going to take it. And not only did he score a touchdown, but he scored a touchdown doing what we expect – Devontae Parker to do a first round pick a guy that's 6'4 has every God's gift given to him to have the abilities to do that and here's 5'6 5'7 standing on a phone book Jakeem Grant literally mossing their best corner and butler that catch was unbelievable the concentration when he hit the ground hard I mean that's a that's a little compact guy getting way up there and falling straight down on the ground with no room for error to let that ball bounce around and he just had a great grip on it uh, used his speed, jumped up and caught it, and I thought it was pretty awesome that Jay Cutler trusted him not to throw that up. I mean, the guy could make a bad play on on Monday. Uh, speaking of Jay Cutler, we were talking off air. Uh, Kenny Stills fumbled in the in the red zone, but before that, before he had the opportunity to fumble, what a throw by Cutler! He rolls to the left. Uh, he notices the pocket collapsing a little bit, finds the weak spot, and he throws his accurate floating pass right over the linebacker. It, it, it had all the bells and whistles of the game like you said you start getting that feeling of man there's no way we're losing this thing we are just running on all cylinders and every single player 
from the most part had a part in it and it was uh very very fun to watch and i it was really cool to walk around the charlotte north carolina area in my dolphins hoodie on tuesday and got compliments things like uh man you're happy wearing that today or man what a game i'm glad you got you guys beat the patriots Finally, they gave us a reason to be proud to be a Dolphins fan and national TV. And man, what a, what a game, what a night. Oh, it was fun to wear the Finn stuff on Tuesday, Chris. I actually went to a friend's work who happens to be a Patriots fan, and I actually gave him an Aronde Baxton myself. I gave him a Sipsack koozie, even though he didn't give us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It didn't matter. It was time to rub it in because they have been kicking our ass the last couple of years, the Patriots have. So this was my time to gloat. This was my time to boast. And I made sure that every Pats fan in my life got themselves a perfect fill Sipsack koozie. And you guys can get one too. All you have to do is do exactly what I already talked about. Give us a five star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. Give us your address and we'll make sure to send that out as soon as we possibly can. It was just a lot of fun, Chris. Like you'd mentioned, uh, Jakeem Grant wearing number 19. Reminded me of Ted Ginn for a number of reasons. Number one, because he usually disappoints in the return game, even though you expect him to do better. Number two, because he'll make every impossible catch that you can possibly make, like his touchdown grab, the 25-yard pass from Jay Cutler. And number three, because when the ball hits him right in the hands, Mm. um, when it's placed as perfect as it can possibly be, and he can solidify himself in the minds and hearts of every Dolphin everywhere, he drops the ball. It didn't come back to hurt us, but my God, he looked like a condensed version of of Ted Ginn out there with number 19 and all of the attributes that I just gave to, gave to him, man. It was like, again, it was like a throwback Thursday or throwback uniform. I was seeing uh, visions of Ted Ginn from yesteryear. Yeah, Jakeem Grant, man, it was heartbreaking, and not because uh, it affected us. We didn't lose, so not a big deal team-wise, but y- you feel for the kid because – Jakeem Grant, we saw it when we got the guy. Uh, they used him a lot in, in college for the deep passes, and he was a dynamic receiver. And um, it's almost like Adam Gase is just begging him to to prove it to him, to show him. In the very limited times he gets out there on the field with our offense, and a lot of fans have been asking for it. And he he caught that ball. He pretty much did the complete opposite of what his physical traits uh, should constitute a reception for that type of receiver with his leaping, mossing type touchdown and then all of a sudden here's Cutler throwing it out perfectly for him when he had beaten like to a crisp the corner put it right in his hands for a very long touchdown would have made him sports center top 10 everyone been talking about him and he let it to go right through his hands that's the kind of stuff that Adam Gase talks about now I mean the game wasn't close so no big deal we won but if that was a close game or we lost that game that's the kind of stuff where it's not on coaching I mean the play was called perfectly Cutler threw it perfectly. You just have to perform when you get the opportunity. So, Grant, yes, great job. Uh, the scale's tipping one way, and then uh, there you go. Kind of kick the can a little bit, and then even the scale's back out. But hopefully he proved himself, and Gase gets more involved in the offense. Uh, speaking of kicking the can, what was up with that onside kick by the New England Patriots at the end of the game by Steven Goskowski, where he <laughs> actually laid it on its side and then just looked like a like a uh. like a depressed teenager and that he didn't give it any effort at all he just barely kicked it like he was uh like i said like a teenager in pe class kicking the ball to start the game i mean i guess i give him credit for trying something a little bit creative and different in that i think what they were trying to do is to get us to boot the ball since it was on the ground and then they could actually pick it up so I, i get that to a degree but it looked ugly, and it did not work, so I'm going to take the opportunity to call Steven Goskowski, Bill Belichick, and everyone else stupid for trying that. I mean, you got to go with what's going to work in that situation. Do you do not? I mean, is that the time to try something new? 
Well, and I, I will give the benefit of the doubt to Bill Belichick, even though that, that pains me. I mean, we're not stupid. We're not dumb fans. You guys listening aren't dumb. He's a great coach. Bill Belichick's a great coach. He's been successful for a reason. Um, but it's one of those things where onside kicks, your traditional onside kick, have a very, very low uh, possibility of being recovered. It's just very low. Percentage-wise, it's just not – um, it's just not something that happens very often. Now, Cody Parkey on the other end, or should I say Cody Parkey, Parkey. has, I think, two successful ones this year already, one being just a, a rub in the chode of the face of John Elway. But nonetheless, we have two of them. Um, but regardless of that, the stat and the kick itself is just not successful a lot. So what Bill Belichick is doing is counting on our hands team, our young guys, our Chase Allens, our Mike Holes, maybe Michael Thomas's that are all special team guys to do this weird, unorthodox little kick. And what happens is when your adrenaline's going, the game's almost over, all you have to do is get a recovery. You're not really always thinking straight. And Bilicek is counting on the numbers uh, of it not being successful. Anyway, why not have the Miami Dolphins make a mistake? It's not like we haven't done it before. Um, kick it short, let them run and try to get it because it wasn't bouncing real hard and having a weird bounce. It was just kind of rolling at you you know bill buckner that easy ground ball coming through if that ball was a shot between second and first base he probably catches it probably gets in the red sox win the world series um but it was a slow dribbler roller he had time to think about it he had time to uh look at it and and just let the nerves get to him and that's what bilicic was trying to do i think was trying to pull kind of like a reverse psychology type onside kick and it didn't work but if it did people would be calling him a genius the funny thing about all of this now is that the Miami Dolphins are now six and seven. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think we were surprised that they were even going to get to six wins. Now we are once again talking about playoffs. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? Uh, that's right. We're talking about the playoffs because right now the Miami Dolphins are sitting 10th uh, when the top six go to uh, the, the playoffs, as we all know. But uh, the teams that were playing are all ahead of us. So we play the Buffalo mm. Bills twice, including this upcoming week, Chris, and the Kansas City Chiefs, who do not look good anymore. Um, if we beat those three teams, we go to, well, those two teams, but three times, we go to 9-7. and seven. That would put us above the Buffalo Bills. That would put us above the Kansas City Chiefs, even if they were to win the rest of their games. And if the Chiefs did win the rest of their games, that would put them above the San Diego Chargers, who we already beat head-to-head. Uh, so really all we have to worry about are the Ravens and the Raiders who have not looked great, who are not going to win out the rest of their games uh, and probably are going to fall, I would imagine, at least to 8-8. Eight and eight. So I think the Miami Dolphins, while they're not in control of their own destiny, are looking a lot better after this Patriots game than before, obviously. Uh, they have an actual bona fide chance of sneaking into the playoffs once again if they can win out, Chris. Yeah, it's it's unreal, and we, we didn't expect to be here when we lost to Tampa. No. I mean, uh, we thought the season was over. We're talking draft. Uh, we even had our hateful episodes, everything. Um, this is the reason why we have gray hairs in our 30s. This is the reason why we drink very heavily, mm-hmm. um, because the Miami Dolphins do this. We, we lose horrible games. Like we, we we can easily be controlling our own, des- own destiny at this point, and here we are again. The three-game stretch during the holiday season is going to just make – us bite our nails off um, because the Bills, we, we always play them close. They always play us close. It's never an, an easy game. Maybe every once in a while, I think last year we had a we had a blowout 
you know, it's usually never an easy game. We're going to Buffalo. It's going to be in the 30s. It's going to be cold. Uh, we are going to Kansas City the next week on Christmas Eve. It's going to be cold. That environment is usually pretty brutal for the road team, but the way they're playing and uh, depending on what happens this week, the fans might not be as invested. And then home game, of course, New Year's Eve against the Bills, just written perfectly to be 8-8. Eight and eight. Tennessee's probably losing. All we have to do is win to get in, and it's going to be a absolute heart-wrencher. Sam, I can't believe we're talking playoffs, but alas, here we are, mid-December, and three games to go, and we possibly if, – if Adam Gase turns this team around, Sam, and we go to the playoffs after starting 4-2 and two, and then losing the games we did, what, five in a row, six mm-hmm. in a row, and go to the playoffs, Sam, I mean he's got to be in a conversation for Coach of the Year. That would be un-fucking-believable. That's a good question. I don't know. What do you guys think out there? Would If we make the playoffs, is Adam Gase a consideration for Coach of the Year? I uh, I got to think that the, 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 the coaches that would be there have got to be Doug Peterson for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, unfortunately, Bill Belichick, who I think has done a lot with this team, with the New England Patriots team, considering they've had a ton of injuries as well. Um, Mike Tomlin would have to be there for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but nine and seven after all the injuries, the, co- mm. the cocaine abuse by the offensive co- line coach, uh, the arrests that have happened. I, I could see it. I could see if I don't think he would win it, but I think he would definitely start to garner some attention for it. Absolutely. And uh, it just ties into the theme of the, the throwback episode of Perfectville here, since he was a candidate for coach of the year last year as a rookie. So uh, look, I, I'm not going to say that we're going to the playoffs. The odds are still stacked well against us, but uh, they're better now than they ever were, uh, especially after beating the Patriots. This team's got to be feeling it, winning two in a row, once a, one against a bad Broncos team and one against a good Patriots team. Uh, they're coming up to a Buffalo Bills game uh, that's going to be in Buffalo. It's going to be cold, and uh, there's going to be a lot of bad players in Buffalo. But the, since this is a throwback version of Perfectville, we can't go on and talk about the Buffalo Bills, Chris, uh, before we close out this New England Patriots game. And we are going to close it out the way we did last season. And that is to award the Dallas Thomas Worst Player Ever Award from both Chris and myself. Without further ado, who is your Dallas Thomas Award winner for Worst Player Ever against the New England Patriots? Well, first things first, um, I can't wait to hear the Disney-owned comic book character from The Simpsons um, saying, Worst Ever after I say this, but um, <laughs> I can't believe that that Disney bought Fox. Um, yeah, so Dallas Thomas, worst player ever, is Devontae Parker. Worst ever. And here's why. You're Devontae Parker, okay? You're a first-round pick. You've been called out um, a lot by your coaches, by fans, um, sometimes personally at you on social media. Looking at you, Travis Wingfield, uh, Mr. Tupac. <laughs> Remember that? I do. Um, so Devontae Parker, he comes in. Uh, what does he do? He has an opportunity here, Sam. He has an opportunity when other guys step up and shine. Prime time against the Patriots. Division game. What does Kenyon Drake do? Never been a starter his entire life. He gets the opportunity almost 200 yards from scrimmage. What does Landry do? Mr. Doesn't score touchdowns. He has two, putting himself at eight on the year, which is a career high. What does Xavier Howard do? He's playing against Tom Brady. I mean, you're going to get torched, right? Two interceptions, crazy interceptions, physical, amazing plays. What does Jakeem Grant do? Well, he does what Devontae Parker should be doing, and that is going out and physically dominating the guy covering you to make your quarterback look good when he trusts you and make catches. There's a reason why Jakeem Grant is running that route and Cutler's throwing it, and he's not throwing it to 11. 
There's a reason why Landry's catching on pace for 108 catches this year. There's a reason why Kenny Stills has more production all around the book than number 11. Devontae Parker, you've had a lot of opportunities this year, and I have a feeling you've squandered them because Armando Salguero has just broken... couple of minutes ago about 803 top of the hour pro football talks reporting it that the miami dolphins are immediately going into contract negotiations with Javar- jarvis landry they um were expected to wait till the end of the year and possibly franchise tag them nah they've seen enough they and jarvis landry's agent have begun and are getting into serious contract talks they've seen enough They know who's the face of the franchise. They know who's going to go out there and bust their ass week in and week out for this team. And guess what? The name does not rhyme with Vivante Tarker. So this guy is my Dallas Thomas Award winner for the worst ever for the game with 40 yards and measly few catches. But his season and the career he's had with the Miami Dolphins so far is just screaming bust. Yeah, he is uh, he's in a downward death spiral right now. And more on Jarvis Landry and the contract he's probably going to cash in on here in just a second. But before we move on to that, I have to give out my award for the Dallas Thomas worst player ever. And Chris, I'm calling an audible here and I'm giving it to myself. The worst ever and send and sip. Uh, That's right. Unprecedented here, as I am not a player, but I am a fan, and I am giving myself the Dallas Thomas Award for this week, and here's why, Chris. Last week, you and I sat down, like we normally do, week in, week out, and we recorded a podcast. Not only did we record a podcast, we recorded an amazing podcast. It was over an hour long. It was going to be a bonus super jumbo episode for all of our listeners, for all all the citizens of Perfectville, to enjoy. And I went to edit it. I went to go put it up. And I listened to the audio and realized that I had screwed up the audio on my side for the entire recording. Now, that's not a big deal, except for the fact that on this particular episode, Chris, you had actually predicted, not only for the Miami Dolphins to win against the New England Patriots, while I predicted a loss, you predicted the final score to be 24-20, to for the Miami Dolphins, which was not the final score, mind you, but the final score was 27 to 20, which is good enough for government work, which means you nailed the exact score, more or less, against this New England Patriots team. You had enough faith in the Miami Dolphins to choose them to win, and nobody is ever going to hear it because I (laughs) cannot send out the podcast because of my audio. Further compounding that fact, I said during this audio podcast that no one will ever listen to that if we were to win this game, the two players that would need to step up more than anyone else were Jarvis Landry and Kenyon freaking Drake. So not only did you nail the score, I nailed the players, and it doesn't matter because nobody's ever going to believe this. Nobody's ever going to hear it, but it happened. Episode 91, the lost episode, all of the fun stuff, the one time that Chris and I both nail everything right and we could look like experts when it comes to football and the Miami Dolphins in particular— No one will ever hear it. You guys will just have to take our word for it. We were right. We were right 100%, and you'll never hear it. And for that, I give myself the Dallas Thomas Award for worst player ever. Man, Sam, you know Stephen A. Smith? um, He was fired from ESPN. I think he was doing, like, Bleacher Report work, and then all of a sudden he broke the LeBron James going to Miami before anybody else, and now he's all of a sudden got a first-take job, a cushy national TV job. If he wasn't recording 
when he posted that or if he forgot to hit send, he wouldn't be on first take. He wouldn't be a national media member. Sam, you failed us. I, I cannot believe we made these predictions. We could have been huge. We could have been huge, and you're absolutely right. Not only did I get the Dallas Thomas Award, I am the welcome to the NFL this week. I mean, if we were doing a non-throwback <laughs> version, it's all about me. I fucked it up, and I apologize. I apologize to the listeners for not getting the content out. I apologize to you for making you look stupid by not putting out your awesome prediction ahead of time. And I apologize to myself because nobody ever within the minute, within a minute, Chris, I, I, we just made history on the show. This is the first time that anyone has ever been compared to both Dallas Thomas and Stephen A. Smith within a minute. And I hold that distinction. Maybe that'll get us huge. <laughs> I want to hang myself after that revelation right there. And I deserve it. I deserve all the criticism. I deserve the ridicule. And I apologize to everyone. But I am, uh, I am here to take my whipping. I'm here to take my lashing. I am Dallas Thomas. I am Stephen A. Smith. I am Sam Marku. I thought I heard you rolling around on roller skates over there. So uh, <laughs> it's funny that you're Dallas Thomas. I actually opened the door and 75 defensive linemen just ran inside. So <laughs> Easily. Yeah. Just I just Went through I, your pantry. I actually made them. I thought you were going to say went through my panties. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> he really <That's> next? <laughs> he really was open. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Moving on, uh, we do have the Buffalo Bills, the team I hate the most of the AFC East because of the 1990s K-Gun offense with Marv Levy and Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Andre Reid and James Lofton and Pete Metzelars and Kent Hull and everybody else on that stupid fucking Buffalo Bills team. Um, I don't know what to make of the Buffalo Bills, man. They won last week against a shitty Indianapolis Colts team. They have almost as much, if not more, controversy surrounding their team uh, as the Miami Dolphins do week in and week out. How do you see this game? Well, let's not even get to there. Uh, what do we got to do to win this game, Chris? I mean, if we're going to beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo in December to keep our minor playoff hopes alive, uh, what's got to happen? What what has to happen for the Miami Dolphins to be victorious? Well, it's a combination of two things. And um, it's our defense getting a pass rush on Tyrod Taylor, who will not be 100%. He's been already determined to be the starter uh, even though he missed last week uh, in that blizzard with a injured knee. Um, now, the defense has to step up. We have to keep him in a pocket. He kills us, man. He always kills us with his secondary plays by running out and then avoiding pressure and allowing his receivers to get open with five, seven, eight seconds of, of time to throw. So we have to get him down on the ground, and we have to sh- we have to stop LaShawn McCoy. We have to stop Shady McCoy and force Tyrod Taylor to beat us. The problem is we've done that in the past, and he's done it. Mm. So our defense has to step up, have an all-around game. I mean, we just made Tom Brady double his interception, um, or I'm sorry, uh, meet 50% of his total for interceptions of the season in one game. You know, we held him 0 for 11 on third down. It would be the most Miami Dolphins thing ever if we come out on Sunday and make Tyrod Taylor look like the second coming of great Michael Vick. So this is what we need to do. We have to come out there and we have to stop him. The second thing we have to do, and I think most importantly, because I honestly believe we have an offense that can, when clicking, that can put points on the board and can blow out opponents or beat opponents, outscore them, even in a shootout scenario. It's going to be cold. It's not going to be snowing, but it's going to be cold. Here's the thing. Jay Cutler has experience playing in the cold. That's all he knows is Denver and Chicago. You ever been to Denver or Chicago? It's cold. It's snowing. It's windy. It's misty. It's icy. It's wet. He's used to it. So he's going to go out there 
And we need Jay Cutler to have a game like he had against New England. He has to take over, take shots downfield, keep the defense honest so Kenny Andre can do his thing. And all of a sudden we win this game and me and you are back on the air next week, seven and seven, saying, holy shit, dude, we got two more and we might be talking playoffs. So that's the two things for me is our defense has to contain Tyrod Taylor and Jay Cutler has to show up and utilize his experience in the cold weather and have a really good clean game. Yeah. This is how bad Nathan Peterman is as a quarterback. Tyrod Taylor has one fucking leg, literally one fucking leg, and the Buffalo Bills are like, yeah, Tyrod Taylor's going to play quarterback. <laughs> like, the guy can't even stand up. They're like, it's a better option. Yeah, than- we can't let that beat us. Yeah. Yeah, Nathan Peterman. What a terror. I wish I, – you know what? I'm glad Nathan Peterman's not playing because this would be the game that he scores, you know, <laughs> yeah. four touchdowns and 374 yards against this defense. Speaking of the defense, I'm going to give you a player. I've mentioned him a couple of times, and maybe I'm just hoping against hope here, Chris. He's looked good, but he doesn't have the stats to back it up, and I'm talking about Charles Harris. Speaking of containin- containment, I need Charles Harris to step up. I need him to put stats on the board. I don't want hurries. I don't want rushes. I want sacks, and I want tackles for loss from the rookie. This would be the time. This would be the opportune time uh, while everyone else is looking at Ndamukong Sue, Jordan Phillips has stepped up his game. Cameron Wake is who he is. Everyone's starting to look at him. This is prime for Charles Harris to blow past that tackle and get to Tyrod Taylor, defend a pass, uh, deflect a pass, knock Tyrod Taylor out of the game so that we can see Nathan Peterman come up and stink up the joint. This is who I'm looking for on defense is Charles Harris. I need him to put pressure on this quarterback. I need him to hit the quarterback so that Xavier Howard and the other guys in the defensive backfield can continue to do what they're going to do. I'm also going to call out Rashad Jones. Rashad Jones has not played bad, but he isn't doing that standout Rashad Jones safety stuff that he's been doing uh, for the better part of two or three years, and he hasn't really had to the last couple of weeks. But I want to see Rashad Jones flying all over the place. I want to see Rashad Jones hitting the quarterback. I want to see Rashad Jones laying out a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. Those are my two guys on defense, Charles Harris, Rashad Jones. On offense, it's going to be cold. You're absolutely right. Jay Cutler's going to have to heat up his hands, heat up his lungs with a cigarette right before the game, and he's going to have to go. I think this is a game that, again, if Jarvis Landry can get his contract before this game, Jarvis Landry's going to go off. I mean, absolutely. This is a game, cold weather, short passes, get him in open space, let him juke some people out of their shoes, let him work. Uh, and Kenyon Drake, the two guys from last week. I mean, those are the keys to our offense right now is Kenyon Drake and Jarvis Landry. Jay Cutler just has to stay back there and not make mistakes. I want to be Trent Dilfer in his prime at this point. Just give the ball to your defense, you know, to the, to the to the guys who can do things with it and get out of their damn way. Uh, with that being said, Chris, we're not going to do our regular predictions here. This is a throwback version of Perfectville, which means that we have to throw it all the way back, and it's time for us to get ridiculous because it is time for ridiculous predictions. Let's get ridiculous! I get more requests for ridiculous predictions coming back than anything we've ever done, Chris. So this is it. For anybody out there that's listening, that's a longtime listener of Perfectville, this is your opportunity to get ridiculous along with us. Fire up that music. And uh, I'm going to hand it over to you, Chris. Why don't you go ahead and go first and let us know how we're going to get ridiculous with these predictions. Timestamp, Sunday, Sunday morning, 5 a.m., Buffalo, New York. Stephen Ross's limo pulls up to Ralph Wilson Stadium. Half of the Bills fans are already passed out from alcohol poisoning in the tailgating parking lot. <laughs> Stephen Ross's limo pulls up into the front and he steps over beer cans, Corona bottles, bush-like cans, and drunken fat guys asleep on the ground, just shaking his head in misery. He walks in the door and meets with the current owner of the Buffalo Bills. The owner, wondering why Stephen Ross wanted to meet so early, 
all of a sudden is surprised when Stephen Ross pulls out a broomstick and he walks over with Mike Tannenbaum and Adam Gase and holds down the owner of the Buffalo Bills, de-pantsing him, warning him that broomstick will find a new home if a trade is not immediately agreed upon. So fast forward, timestamp, Sunday, 1 p.m., Ralph Wilson Stadium. Kenyon Drake is about to have his first 200-yard rushing game. Something the Miami Dolphins running back seemed to do against the Buffalo Bills, especially in cold Buffalo. Let me remind you of Ricky Williams with his uh, faux pas smoking movements in the cold and the 200-yard performance. And Jay Ajayi having the second of two 200-yard performances in Buffalo last year. Well, Kenyon Drake's about to add that to his trophy case with the help of Richie Incognito at guard. Mm. Because we just bullied our way into getting him at guard. Meanwhile, Kelvin Benjamin, fighting an injury like he does, will give up his starting spot to Devontae Parker, who will have two catches for eight yards, and the Miami Dolphins win 34-7, to owner limping out of the stadium scene after the game. You're being ridiculous. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing like anal rape and bullying. <laughs> To get yourself a win against a winless or a hapless Buffalo Bills team. Well done, sir. You knocked off the rust real quick and got right back into that ridiculousness that we love and enjoy here in Perfectville. Well, and let me say, too, um, I, I swear on anything that moves and on my son's life, that was all entirely improv. <laughs> I didn't even think about this. You, you brought it up like five minutes before we went on air. That's the point of what we do. I mean, for anybody that's listening to us, you guys know we don't have – you know what our, our, our producing – uh, meetings consist of, hey, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, let's go. It's about a 15, I mean, 30 seconds if we're running late is what our production meeting is before the <laughs> yep. show, uh, which is probably why the audio sucked so bad last week because I didn't do any checks. But uh, that's neither here nor there. We already addressed it. Let's move on. It is time for my ridiculous prediction. And here's how I think it goes down, Chris. These two teams hate each other. They're AFC East rivals, the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino. Irving Fryer, James Lofton. These teams go way back, and I'm talking way back in the AFC East. We kicked the crap out of them the entire generation of the 1970s, the entire decade. Come the 1990s, the Buffalo Bills broke our hearts before they went and broke their own fans' hearts by losing four Super Bowls in a row. <laughs> but that aside, the rivalry and the bitterness is still there. We know all the shitty quarterbacks that both teams have had, Rob Johnson, Cleo Lemon. We understand it. So when, the, when it comes time for kickoff, before that, we have to have the actual coin flip. The captains of both teams are jaw-jacking at each other. They're calling each other names. Kiko Alonso and LaShawn McCoy are going at it back and forth because they hate each other. And Dominican Sue is trying to eat whoever it is on the Buffalo Bills that's going to be on the other side. You see Dan Marino's throwing footballs at Jim Kelly. You see Jim Kelly... Uh, <laughs> getting a chemo treatment and then throwing footballs back at Dan Marino. You see people like Daryl Talley ripping off his nose and using it as a surfboard across the field <laughs> to run into Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor. You see all of these rivals, and in the middle of this huge rumble that's about to happen, we start hearing weird sounds coming from one end of the end zone and the other, and we're not quite sure what it is. It sounds like a little motor, and it sounds like maybe something metal clanging against the ground. And we look out, and we see 150-year-old Marv Levy walking with a walker with tennis balls in the front, making sure he doesn't fall down. And we look the other end zone, and we see 300-year-old Don Shula stuck in the snow on his golf cart trying to get towards Marv Levy. And these guys are yelling at each other.
each other in old-timey insults like whippersnapper and hummity, 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 or whatever the fuck old people talk about. And ultimately, both teams stop fighting as they watch the geriatrics go after each other. And right before they're about to collide, Marv Levy fucking dies. You are redonkulous. And that, that's it. Is it? <laughs> I just pictured Don Shula like holding a stake and like his golf cart wheels are just peeling out in the snow. Yeah, yeah. he's not moving. I want to see them joust. Once one's going to be in a rascal scooter, the other's going to be in a golf cart, and they've got a walker and a cane, and they're just going to go after each other like medieval times, or like two knights from back in the day. Oh, I just want to see it happen. <laughs> Marv Levy's using Steve Tasker as a joust because he bounces on his neck all the time. <laughs> it's pliable. Uh, God, and he keeps attacking on offense every 15 seconds because he never huddles up and fucks us like he did in the 90s. Anyway, uh, obviously, oh, and then the Dolphins win. I forgot to put that part in there. So. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. We got to win. We got to win. So there you go. Man, I missed that. Yeah. This ridiculous prediction's fun. Maybe we'll have to bring that back next season. Maybe we'll throw a we'll throw a clickbait poll out there on Twitter and see if ridiculous predictions need to come back. That was fun. I, I was able to uh, stretch out my creative bone there. Yeah, well, in uh, speaking of bones, um, we can enter the bone zone here and talk real quick about um, uh, speaking of maybe the question of permanently bringing that back, Sam. What what percentage would you put of the possibilities? of us bringing our throwbacks as a permanent solution to our uniforms. I know we just changed them. I know we just got a new logo. But every single time we wear these throwbacks, especially on national TV, other fans are talking about it of other teams. National pundits are talking about it that work for large corporations and, and, and sports agencies. It is the talk of social media every time, and it's unanimous how good they look. I love it. I, I mean <clears> – <throat> I don't know if we're going to bring back the old logo, but I think the uniforms, the colors that, you know, that deep, deep aqua and, and the coral and the, the piping on the on the shoulder blades and everything. I think there's got to be a happy medium where maybe we use the new logo, but we update it with the old colors and the old, you know, throwback style uniforms, but just the new logo. I'm not sure, um, but I think it's going to happen. Something's going to change and it's going to happen because there's just too much positive momentum with these throwbacks. Uh, I do wonder, though, if we saw them week in and week out, if we would start to lose you know, it would lose its specialness. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe part of the appeal is that we see it twice a year, uh, but I, I think so. I think it's going to be a permanent fixture one way or the other, whether it's going to be the new uniform in a couple of years when we can legally change it again, or if it's just something that's going to happen twice a year, but I love it. I dig it. I love when Adam Gase wears the, uh, the Under Armour style throwback shirt. I have a throwback hat myself. I appreciate it. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's fun to watch the team in those colors, in that uniform, go out there and play like the team that used to wear that week in and week out. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, I think for me too, it's, it, of course it's nostalgic because of how successful we were when we wore those uniforms, but that's not even it for me. I think it's, I think it's really, it's just so clean it, it looks so good, especially with our updated, uh, uniforms and, and, and padding, I mean, it just, I mean, it looked good in the 70s. It was nice. It was fine. But when you got those big, bulky Mike Hole shoulder pads right. and like loose Byron Maxwell sleeves and <laughs> big, weird milk crate face masks and old helmets, it was just like, eh, I mean, like, it's okay. But to see it on the clean, shiny, new, very tight and tight sleeved and uh, Under Armour with the mesh and like the new Revolution helmets with the gray face mask, good God. Seeing them come out on that field, and then with that old logo in the middle and that diamond formation end zone, Jesus Christ, we looked like a million bucks 
Monday, both aesthetically pleasing and on the game field. I mean, it was just, uh, God, what a great day. That was just beautiful. Yeah, you know you know what would be a happy medium? If we could wear them against AFC East opponents six times a year. That's what there I want to see. I just want to see idea. the throwbacks against the Patriots, the Bills, and the Jets. And speaking of the AFC East, we can't have a throwback episode of Perfectville, Chris, if we don't have what was most likely our most popular bit of all time. And that, of course, is the second. On the AFC East. This is a second on the AFC East. The Bills won in a blizzard. That was a second on the AFC East. And I hope they enjoyed that victory because we are coming to skullfuck that Buffalo Woo! come this Sunday. Chris, uh, this is a lot of fun. It's fun when the Dolphins win. I think our listeners, the citizens of Perfectville, love when the Dolphins win, obviously, naturally. Uh, but here we go. We got a playoff push coming in December. It is typical, typical Miami Dolphins football right now. The games matter. Uh, will they step up to the challenge, or will they throw back to yesteryear and fail once again? I guess we'll find out on Sunday, Chris. Yeah, we're going to find out. We have a mix of old bets and young guys still finding their, their place in this league with the Kenyon Drakes and Xavier Howards and Tankersley and um, you know the mix with the vets of Sue and Wake and Jones. So it's going to be interesting to see if the same old Dolphins show up or if the new breed and new blood uh, steps up and says, hey, guys, we won the last two. Let's keep this momentum going. Um, I, it, it's going to be interesting to see, and I think it's all on Adam Gase and see how they respond. Uh, let's see how they respond. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Perfectville Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Perfectville Podcast. Uh, and uh, that's it, man. Is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here? That's it, buddy. Well, just like uh, in throwback episodes and episodes of today, the only thing left to say is goodbye from Perfectville. Later. Perfectville. sure if anybody's still listening chris i don't really care but this is a throwback version of perfectville which means we used to have a a segment called overtime which would play overtime after the outro music and uh that's exactly what we're doing right now so we talked about it a little bit we touched on it you did during the regular part of the show uh but jarvis landry uh word coming out of south beach is that jarvis landry is in or is about to be in talks or at least his agent is uh for a new contract a new long-term contract with the miami dolphins this uh, it comes at a very weird time of the season. Uh, you don't usually see this type of shit during the middle of the season, but we did see it earlier this year with Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, so there's precedent here recently uh, for a wide receiver to enter into long-term contract negotiations with the team that they're currently on. Uh, but given everything that's happened, we have assumed that uh, this might be a very cantankerous type of relationship between Jarvis Landry and the Miami Dolphins if it gets to if it gets to free agency. Uh, looks like, as you had mentioned, they have seen enough. They've seen enough from Jarvis Landry. They've seen enough of Devontae Parker, most notably, mm. uh, to 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 get this done and get Jarvis Landry under contract long term for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, and and you you mentioned it and you hit the nail perfectly on the head. I think Jarvis Landry needs to send a gift basket to Devontae Parker because I think the fact that he has yet to ascend and actually step up and be that number one receiver. Meanwhile, um, Landry has just been Landry, and he's got a career high in eight touchdowns. I mean, that was the thing coming in. Jarvis Landry's got these great catches, great 
numbers, yards after catch. Uh, he's a bully on the field. He's just a guy you want, but he doesn't score touchdowns, really. Well, he has eight now, and it's a career high, and there's still three games to go. I mean, we might be looking at a double-digit touchdown scoring, 100-plus catch season and Jarvis Landry is doing this in a contract year but the cool thing is is Adam Gase is still learning this guy this is second year having him but he's been putting up pretty awesome numbers albeit not the touchdowns everything else you want though he's still always been a bulldog he's still um you know yards after catch great hands a real guy you can count on and Devontae Parker not stepping up and doing anything and continuing to be injured made Adam Gase in the front office say look it's no brainer. We got Kenny Stills on one side. He's our burner. We need the next guy to be here for the long haul, and they don't want to even deal with a franchise tag. And per uh, Armando Salguero, they said the Dolphins plan to start or already have started contract talks with Landry's agent, um, which, funny enough, said they would not talk contract during the season. But uh, money talks, man. Money talks and bullshit walks. I'm going to read this from NBCSports.com. Shout out to NBC. <clears throat> says Landry has a career low yards per catch average of 8.5, but he has 88 receptions with three games to play. That puts him on pace for 108. He also has a career high eight touchdowns along with a well-earned reputation for being a hard-nosed runner and blocker, making him essentially this decade's Heinz Ward. Um, <clears throat> I've never made that connection before, Chris, but Jarvis Landry wow. and Heinz Ward, that's a pretty uh, apt description uh, he is he is the, he is basically Heinz Ward for the Miami Dolphins is he not that's a great comparison I, I've never really thought about that it, it was hard to compare um Landry he reminded me I guess of like an Anquan Bolden type where he's just like a again I go back to it kind of like a bulldog just in the field like a guy that you can match up a linebacker on him or a safety or a corner and Landry's going to put his shoulder down and try to get the the extra yard for a first down he doesn't care um, there's other receivers that will step out of bounds that will kind of like take an easy hit. Um, Landry is fighting for every yard, and there's a very limited few guys you can think of that really do that, that that aren't tight ends. I mean, like these slot receivers that do that. Larry Fitzgerald very early in his career uh, was kind of like that, and then Anquan Bolden. But Heinz Ward, man, what a great comparison. I mean, he's blown up guys blocking for his teammates just like Landry does. Um Man, yeah, great comparison. This generation's Heinz Ward, and he stayed with the same team essentially, I believe, his entire career. Um, that's what the Dolphins are looking to do here. And the interesting thing is, I'm reading the same story as you, the next paragraph is um, going to be interesting to see if the Dolphins pick up the fifth-year option on Devontae Parker, which all signs, good Lord, point to know. Yeah, I mean, if Jarvis Landry is Heinz Ward, then that makes Devontae Parker Plaxico Burris because he keeps shooting himself in the <laughs> foot. Um <clears throat> <laughs> that being said, yeah, I think I think if Jarvis Landry <laughs> signs, then Plax or Plaxico Devonte Parker uh, is probably seeing uh, the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of his career with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, last thing before we let everyone go for real here, Chris, what do you think it's going to be? What do you think the contract, if they can get it done, uh, what what do you think Jarvis Landry is going to pull in uh, with the Miami Dolphins? Uh, good question. I, I I see Jarvis Landry. It might surprise us. I don't know. Um, he might be one of those guys that. Um, will we'll appreciate us coming in the middle, sort of the middle of the year and not letting the entire year uh, go by and him padding even more stats to be able to use in the open market uh, and maybe giving, I, I don't want to say a hometown discount. I don't know if he's going to do that, which he shouldn't. I mean, I, I'm against that fully because NFL teams will cut 
to you two years if you're not performing. So why would you take a hometown discount to help the team? Um, I think it will get around the range of 15 to 16 million a year. I, I definitely see that. And um, I, I don't know uh, if he keeps putting up eight to 10 touchdowns a season, along with his hundred catches and um, the little things, man, the little things like when the playcock's running down, he's always calling a timeout. He blocks for his teammates. Uh, he can be a punt returner, kick returner. I, I, th- those things, it's just he does so much for this team. Uh, I just, it, I think it breaks my heart more thinking about him on another squad uh, to where I'd pay him whatever the fuck he wants. I think he's going to get about a four-year, $60 million contract and probably about $30 million of that is going to be guaranteed. That's my guess. Um, that yeah. puts him a little bit above Alshon Jeffrey's deal. Um, I think, in my opinion, in my mind's eye, that Jarvis Landry is a, a little bit of a better wide receiver than Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, oh more. yeah, I, was just, I totally concur. You know, so I think that's probably where he's going to be. He's probably going to be around fifteen million a year. I think he's going to get about thirty million guaranteed. Uh, I don't know how they're going to make that work with all the other contracts, but uh, that's for them to figure out and us for and for us to enjoy. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it here's, goes. Here's the thing with Landry, Sam, and, and our fans listening. All you have to point to is the respect that Bill Belichick has for him. If you watched him mic'd up against us two weeks ago when we lost, he was demanding they double-team Landry all game. He asked his defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, all the time, where's Landry, where's 14, who's covering him? I don't care if we give up over the top, cover Landry. He demands respect, and I think the one thing you need to look at is how good Landry is in big moments. Big games against the Patriots, big games in prime time. This guy, the the lights are never too bright for him. It's not something we'll ever regret paying him to stay with us for the long term. I truly believe that. I hope we have uh, even more breaking news before too long. That uh, Hopefully this time next week, Chris, we're talking about a Miami Dolphins victory and the fact that we have now signed Jarvis Landry to a long-term deal to stay in South Beach. Uh, But with that being said, man, um, that's the end of overtime. That's the end of Perfectville. It's time for us to uh, mosey on down the street. All right. Fuck off, I guess. Fuck off. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off, everybody. Fuck off. Fuck yo, fuck yo, fuck yo, fuck yo, fuck yo, fuck yo. I feel like you fucking I think that hey, Adam Sandler. I was thinking that was going to be Don Shula and Marv Levy as they're uh, fighting during my ridiculous. <laughs> fuck off, hey, fuck yo, yeah. uh, fuck yo. Fu- That's a bee's here, yeah, kid. Fuck off, you say, yeah. Yeah, Sonny. Go, go get a Times paper. Uh, yeah. I fucked your wife in 1938. See. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.